Hello, this is Anna Marbach of Metamagic, AnnaMarbach.com, and EK Clinics, and this is How to Live a Magical Life. So hello, hello. I am a coach and a magician, and today I really want to talk about my journey with existential kink, because it really has been such an amazing and life-changing principle in my life, and again, it's really about the principle of existential kink. Really, I think the principle in and of itself, just the idea of it is life-changing. So let's get into it. First, I want to give a little background about where I was in my life. So when I first found existential kink, I had been a part of this magical group called Strategic Sorcery. It's a course run by Jason Miller. Highly recommended, by the way. It's only 149. I believe that's the price still. That's the price it was when I signed up. It's probably always been the price. It's just literally an amazing course. It's a year-long magic course that really goes super deep. I also really recommend Jason Miller's book, The Sorcerer's Secrets. And that book too, I've used so much and it was really a cornerstone of my magical practice for quite a few years. So yes, I really recommend that book and that course. And I even recommend the course Strategic Sorcery really because it comes with honestly the best magical Facebook group I've ever been in. I mean, really super experienced, super dedicated, super knowledgeable practitioners who are as obsessed with magic as you are or much more sometimes. Okay, anyway. So I've been practicing magic for a few years. I like to say that I kind of had a reverse magical journey, which is that I really started with, you know, high ceremonial magic essentially, and then went kind of backwards into more, again, and I say backwards, I don't actually think it's backwards. You know, I think that folk magic is actually incredibly useful and powerful and does many things that ceremonial magic doesn't. But my point is that my magical journey is weird. And anyway, and so, and then I also kind of circled back around too and had it, cause I hadn't done as much planetary magic when I started. So anyway though, so I'd gone through a whole magical journey and I'd also work with magic in order to really heal myself. And the thing is, I was actually talking to my dear friend and business partner in magicalfire.life, Sheena Witter, the other day and I was like why you know there's so many traumatized magicians out there right like there's so many magicians that seem to really still be living in the same loops still be living in the same trauma loops still be living in the same patterns and I was like how did I manage to avoid that trap and she was like well you use magic to release your trauma and that's actually really true I mean I both went to therapy for multiple years and I actually use my magic to on purpose release my trauma. You know, you really can use magic to heal. I mean, again, we're talking the emotional level since that was where I really needed healing. Like I did the therapy and I did the psychological work, but then I was also working with magic. And, you know, I used the magic that I used eventually became the course that I run called Practical Curse Removal. And, you know, using all that clearing, it was like just lots and lots of clearing and cleansing and protection magic. And using so much clearing, cleansing and protection magic, you know, along with therapy, along with, I did a lot of different magic, right? I did, you know, 30 
plus days of the same exact magical routine every single day. 30 plus days of cleansing, 30 plus days of protection, 30 plus days of prayer, 30 plus days of just so many different kinds of rituals. And, you know, I think that also the discipline of magic in and of itself, like if you really can show up at the same time to do the same thing every single day, I think that in and of itself can be really healing to people with depression. And then also I did magic in order to heal my depression and trauma. By the way, like, as I'm saying this, I'm like, it worked for me. I did it. This is all just personal. It's not like a recommendation or anything. It's not something that I'm like, oh, go out and do it for yourself. This is what worked for me. This is how I did it. But, you know, we're going into my existential kink path here. I can talk about my depression. We're leaving magic later. And I really just had like such a long journey with magic. So there's a lot to talk about. Anyway, so I really cleared and healed so much with magic, but I got to the point where I was in apathy. You know, I was in apathy, like feeling nothing, numb. And that's actually awesome. You know, if you look at like, there's this really great, Abraham Hicks, you know, their law of attraction experts say, I'm not like hugely into the law of attraction, but it does have some useful principles, which of course it does because it's based on magic. But yeah, if you look at the Abraham Hicks vibrational spiral, you start at the bottom, that's like depression, grief, anger. And the thing is you like move up this vibrational spiral and about in the middle is, I believe, is numbness, you know, numbness, apathy. So it's actually better to be in apathy and numbness than it is to be in depression and grief, right? I mean, it's obviously better. The depression and grief is gone. What a relief. But then there's just kind of nothing for a while. And that's perfect. Again, that that's a stepping stone on your journey to the next path. There's really nothing wrong with that. I mean, again, even anger is better than depression, right? It, it has movement. So it's like, I was in apathy, I was in numbness because the depression and grief were gone, but I kind of didn't know what I wanted. I couldn't really feel anything. I wasn't that interested in anything. I mean, I remember that for a couple months there, I just kind of did nothing. I mean, I really just did nothing, felt nothing. You know, I wanted more. I knew that more was possible. I mean, I'd already healed my depression, right? That was an incredible feat. That was fantastic. You know, I did appreciate that I'd really accomplished something amazing. And at the same time, though, I was like, there is something more out there for me. You know, I knew that there were happy people in the world. I was like, there are people who are happy in this world. Maybe I don't know them personally. <laughs> you know, maybe I don't know where to find them, but they exist. I mean, you know, I know that there are happy people who exist in this world. I've seen them, you know, I've seen people talk about happiness in articles and in books and stuff. So I know happiness is possible. I just don't know how to feel it or get it or experience it. And so, you know, I was still kind of exploring, like clearly magic had worked so well for me for depression. So I was just kind of thinking about this. I wasn't really trying to create it. And by the way, this is really great for people who are non-specific manifestors. Like if you manifest specifically, that means that you manifest, like you need a specific goal and then you go out and accomplish it. Non-specific manifestors like me, you know, we just kind of need to vaguely intend something and then it kind of just eventually happens. You know, there's really not more to it. And this is a human design thing, by the way. If you've never heard of human design, you can just Google that. And you actually don't even, I think you don't even need to look up if you're a specific or non-specific manifester. I think you know if you're a person who needs to have a specific goal or if you're a person who just kind of creates things sometimes. So that, and that's a non-specific manifester like me. So yes, I really wanted 
to be happy and I wanted to experience more and I knew that more was possible. So I decided to just keep thinking about that, you know, and just wondered about it. And then one day I was in the Strategic Sorcery Facebook group. And yes, this is why I went on that whole long tangent. I was in the Strategic Sorcery Facebook group and someone mentioned the practice of chode, which I've heard of before. And it's the process of feeding your demons. It's a Buddhist practice. And then on the post about chode, like I read the comments and I, you know, clicked to read the comments on the comments. Someone had said, oh, if you like chode, why don't you check out Existential Kink by Carolyn Elliott? And I was like, oh, I would love to check out Existential Kink. That sounds super cool. You know, it just sounded really interesting to me. And so I decided to check it out. I just Googled it. And then one of her programs was being sold. It was called Force of Nature and it was on sale. And I was like, sign me up. I mean, I'm someone too who makes decisions very quickly. I'm not someone who needs to, you know, look at a sales page a million times. I mean, I don't think actually, I don't, I didn't buy it immediately. I bought it within like 24 or 48 hours. But yeah, I don't need to look at the sales pages over and over again. I don't need to receive a million emails. I know or I don't know. And I just knew. I mean, that course at the time cost over $1,000. It was $99 a month for over 12 months. And I was just like, yes, absolutely. I'm in. And so that summer I did Force of Nature. And the principles in Force of Nature seriously changed my life. It was really, Force of Nature is really all about existential kink. And the idea of existential kink is that you secretly enjoy, a part of you secretly enjoys things that you consciously can would never admit to enjoying. So subconsciously, part of you loves the thing that consciously you hate. And this made so much sense to me. I mean, you know, again, I just played with the idea. It's not like, oh, instantly, now I have to totally 100% believe it and make it my entire life. I mean, no, I really played with the idea. Honestly, I did make it my entire life for three months. I mean, that's how I go. I like to go all in. And I actually do really recommend going all in. I mean, as a way of changing your life, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. Honestly, you can go in on all in on pretty much anything. If you really commit and you're really like, I am going to learn this and I'm going to fully allow this to affect me, influence me, change me then your life has changed. I mean, it just makes sense when I say it out loud, but really I think very few people are willing to buy all in. Most people instead would rather stay comfortable and keep their own same ideas as opposed to throw themselves into transformation and change. And so yes, every single day I was working, you know, a minimum wage job that I didn't really like. And so every single day I would say, as I felt the you know, kind of vague pain, you know, that vague kind of ennui or existential pain you feel in your body when you're working a kind of mad job, I would say, I give myself permission to enjoy this. I give myself permission to take pleasure in this. I give myself permission to know that there is a part of me that is secretly really enjoying this. And again, I had done a lot of magic at that point. So I really did believe that, you know, I was connected to the infinite divine and that's with existential kink. Again, you can view it, I think, in a secular atheist way, but I like to think of it in that the infinite divine part of myself, the part of me that is all the faces of all the gods, the part of me that really enjoys and takes pleasure in things, you know, it's God, like life is God's joke, you know, <laughs> like 
life is us just exploring and playing with our divinity in every aspect. And of course, that includes even the quote unquote don't like aspect. It's not like we came here to live a 50% of life, you know, or let's say, I mean, again, my life is pretty great. So let's more say like 75 to 95% of life. I didn't come here just for those percentages. I came here to live all of it. And that includes the parts that are quote unquote crappy or bad. And again, too, this concept of pleasure, I mean, in the course Force of Nature and in the book Existential Kink, the author talks about pleasure as something that's, you know, orgasmic. It's really like BDSM, right? Where, you know, in BDSM, people consciously choose to experience pain as a pathway to pleasure. In Ditto, we are unconsciously, in Existential Kink, we are unconsciously choosing to experience painful situations and circumstances as a pathway to pleasure. And then really through the practice of existential kink meditation, we're making that unconscious pleasure conscious so that we can fully acknowledge it, fulfill the pleasure, you know, pleasure just wants to be felt and filled and therefore end that desire, you know, because we have a desire to have these painful experiences that actually cause pleasure. Then once we feel the pleasure consciously, that was unconscious all along, we make that pleasure conscious, and then we no longer have to keep living those same exact situations over and over again. And so yes, I just played with this idea, you know, honestly, nothing really changed in my life in three months. I mean, you know, things started to get easier. Just the again, it just felt like something was moving in my body, like I felt movement in my body, you know, the conversations I was living with my parents, you know, the conversations with my parents got easier. Like things just started to feel a little easier and looser. Like I was starting to feel movement in my body. And then I would say my really big breakthrough with existential kink was when I was talking with my dad one night and I honestly just got so angry at him. And like I said, remember, anger is a higher vibration emotion than depression. I got so angry with him that I just felt this huge, like, bolt of electricity, like through my whole body, like really up from my roof, just like up through my whole body. And I was just so angry and I felt this huge rage. And that was such a big step for me, <laughs> you know, like really feeling just like honestly super angry at my parents, super angry at my dad, like just feeling that honest rage. And honestly, when I felt that rage, I was like, whoa, I mean, this honestly must be what murderers feel. Like in that moment, I was like, yes, I understand. <laughs> like, what murderers feel, this kind of level of anger. By the way, actually, I do really love my dad and feeling anger at him doesn't mean that I don't love him. It absolutely doesn't mean that. I mean, we can hold all feelings about people. So it's very legitimate to both deeply hate and deeply love your parents. And I feel both. And really, I would say that my relationship with my dad has only gotten better and better since I felt this rage. And it's only improved since... I actually admitted to myself that I was angry. Like really our relationship just got better and better and better and better. So I love my dad. He's awesome. And I absolutely want him to live. So yes. And, you know, soon after that, 
there was the essential kink coach training program and I joined it because I was just like, I need more of this in my life. Like this is actually making me feel like I finally moved beyond apathy. Cause really, you know, when you go from depression to apathy, it's like apathy is really just feeling one tiny spectrum. I kind of think of it as a visible spectrum of light, right? The visible spectrum of light is actually pretty tiny. You know, there's a huge spectrum of light. There are shrimp that have like over 30 cones or something. Whereas I think we only have two or three different types of cones. I don't remember. But yeah, there are shrimp that have over 30 different types of cones for receiving light. And we have only two or three different kinds of cones. We cannot see that much light as human beings. There's a very small visible spectrum for us. But really, there's so many different kinds of light. There's a huge spectrum of light that's available. And that's how I think of existential kink. I went from that really small, visible spectrum of light that was like the only, you know, those were the acceptable emotions to every emotion being acceptable. Again, on one side, deep anger. On the other side, deep bliss and everything in between. And really, I was finally able to feel again. You know, existential kink really allowed me to feel. And again, too, like you can do this yourself. All you have to do is start thinking, okay, is it possible that there's a part of me that is taking pleasure in this? Is it possible that actually there's this infinite divine part of me that really, really enjoys this and really, really wants this? And I give permission to that part of myself to really enjoy this. I give permission to myself to take pleasure in this. And, you know, I give myself permission to start loving this. I love how much I hate this. I love how much I hate this. I used to say that over and over again to myself. I love how much I hate this. And as you do that, really feeling into the actual body. And by the way, like, again, like I said, anger was, a you know, I mean, existential kink really helps to uncover things like anger. So, you know, if anger or grief come up as you're doing these kinds of practices, that is totally okay. In fact, that's perfect. That really means it worked, you know? And then you actually kind of got to take a break from the existential kink in order to process your grief and anger. You know, there are really different practices for grief and anger that are really useful. Like I find that anger really just wants to be expressed. I mean, it can be expressed directly to the person or it can be expressed, you know, by like hitting a pillow or, you know, yelling really, really loudly or tapping on it, you know, using emotional freedom technique or tapping. Same with grief. Like I find that grief really just wants to be felt. And so feeling grief, feeling in our bodies, like setting a five to 10 minute timer where we're like, I'm going to really feel my grief. That's really beautiful for that, you know? Um, and, you know, sometimes even existential kink can uncover trauma. And in that case, using somatic body practices, you can Google that online or using the butterfly hug. You can also Google that. Those are really beautiful for coming back into the body and really integrating and releasing that trauma. And so... You know, and also, by the way, existential kink is really for the kind of situations. I mean, I like to think of it as, you know, we all have that one friend who says, oh, I hate drama. But, you know, somehow she's always involved in the most drama of anybody. Right. Or he. I mean, can be anybody, you know, but somehow this friend is always in the most drama, you know, like just gossiping about everybody. Super dramatic friend groups. You're like how am I never meeting people this dramatic? This person experiences so much drama. It's because even though they quote unquote hate drama, secretly they love drama and they just won't admit it. So, you know, if you think of that friend or that person who like clearly loves drama, even though they profess to hate it, that's existential kink. You know, what if they just admitted that they love drama? 
What would happen to their lives? How much energy and time and attention would be freed up to follow their dreams and goals if they could just be like, you know what? Actually, I really love drama. I've experienced so much amazing drama in the past. I really have so much fun and drama is actually really energizing to me. Like what if they just admitted that? I think that would be incredible. So yes, we're looking at situations like that. Like, oh no, I keep dating people who never pick up the check or oh no, I keep getting fired by really annoying bosses, even though I'm clearly smarter than them over and over again. These are great existential kink situations to be like, huh, does maybe part of me enjoy that? You know, does part of me take pleasure in how that makes me feel just at a bodily level? Does part of me really enjoy that repetition of childhood patterns in any way? Does part of me feel like this confirms things that I really want to believe, even if they're not true? So that's why I think existential kink is such an awesome principle. It's just so useful. Really, I like I said, I'm now an existential kink certified coach and I've literally seen it transform so many lives. I mean, I can't even tell you how much suffering has been relieved by the principle of existential kink. And you know, like nobody's perfect and nothing's perfect and existential kink isn't perfect and it is not the how do I put it? It's not a panacea. It's not the cure-all, you know? There are so many wonderful support techniques. I've used so many of them, you know? I've used so many different techniques. I mean, I think even existential kink has, you know, it's existential kink meditation, sure, but then Steve's fear inventory, tongue Len. There are a lot of useful tools within even the existential kink toolbox that are super useful as well. So, you know, we, we're, you, know you don't have to use existential kink meditation and everything, but just trying it out, even trying out again, the idea, I give myself permission to take pleasure in this. I give myself permission to admit that part of me secretly desired this and part of me is really enjoying this. You know, I find that idea in and of itself to be incredibly life-changing and it's really changed my life. Again, I really went from apathetic, you know, also honestly very internal, very shy to interacting with hundreds of people and hosting calls for hundreds of people and honestly feeling really comfortable and really happy to do so. To even doing this podcast, I wouldn't be able to do this podcast three, four years ago, however long ago that was. And now I can. So thank you all so much. And yeah, check out Existential Kink if that resonates with you. I think it's really fun. And I just wanted to tell you a little bit of my journey about it. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye.